So in the time that we have this morning, I'm going to do some things that are a little bit different. You can take your Bible and you can turn to Romans chapter 1. Uh, we'll begin in verse 15. But this morning, I'm going to have a lot up here on the screen because I don't want you to miss it. And sometimes this is a thing I might do in a, in a Bible study in a smaller group, but today we're going to do it up here and I... And there's going to be times you're going to go back and forth, and I may be spending more time on the screen because there's some words, and when we talk about Bible study, there's methods that we use, and there's some words I don't want you to miss today, so I'm going to put it up on the screen. You can take a picture of it, maybe later go back through and, and underline it in the Scripture, however it works for you, but it's really important today because what we're going to be looking at, when we're looking at in Romans chapter 1, we're going to be looking at the gospel. Uh, there's nothing that's been more powerful in my life. If you get to know me, you meet me. I got a lot of flaws. I never have claimed to have it all together. I never will. I know that. But I also know the power of God at work in the life of an individual. And I understand that that begins with the gospel. That when we begin to understand the righteousness of God as he's bestowed it on us through his son, Jesus Christ, and as we understand the power of of the gospel to change our lives, we also begin to understand the reality of that mission of proclaiming that message and making it known. And so this morning, we're going to be spending some time here in Romans chapter 1 and beginning in verse 15. And if you will, go ahead and put the slide up. In verse 15, it says, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are of Rome. One of the first things I want you to do, and I'm going to highlight some words along here. Whenever you see them, sometimes you want to take a moment. And, and, and before, let me just say this as a little note. I know afterwards some of you really good Bible students can grab me and go, Greg, you missed this. I know that. We only have so much time this morning. But this is the message we want this morning. So when you see so, Paul in the previous context leads to him here because he's ready to come to Rome and he wants to talk to the believers. He hadn't met him. He feels like, hey, we can share some things and encourage one, another's, but in the, one another. But in the verse right before, he says, I'm obligated both to the Jew and to the barbarian, or I'm sorry, to the Greek and the barbarian. In other words, I'm ready to come and preach because I'm obligated to the gospel. There's a readiness. In other words, what he's saying is I'm a debtor to another person. That person is Jesus Christ. Because of what Jesus did in my life, I am obligated, I am eager, I am willing to proclaim this message Now, the, to you who are at Rome. Now, circumstances have kept Paul from making it there, and so that's why he's writing that. But he's saying, hey, I'm ready. I'm ready to bring you this news of good tidings, this glad tidings, this good news of the gospel, and I'm ready to come and to teach it and to proclaim it there. And so when he says that, the very next verse, in verse 16, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, I want you to notice this. When you, first one, he's saying so, he's concluding what he had just said, but here now he's using the word for. When you see that, it's gar in the Greek, and it has the idea of cause or reason. In other words, when Paul says, hey, I am, I am eager, I am ready, I'm willing to come and to preach the gospel, Paul is telling you why now, why? For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it. It's, it's the idea that, that even though the gospel in the context of, of the day may be looked down upon as worthless, Paul's saying it doesn't matter. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And you know what? This is something we have to ask ourselves in this room. 
Because we live in a culture that does not value the gospel. They value a message that speaks in, in light of human, uh, uh, boy, I, I want to be careful here, but nevertheless, that, that builds up self, okay, that we want to talk about so that we're all accepted regardless of who the person of God is. But what Paul is saying, I don't care what the world says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And so the picture is here that as he's ready and he says that, he says, I'm eager. The reason I'm eager is I'm not ashamed of that gospel. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 28, I think is worthy to read. Paul speaking here says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. That means 39, by the way, in case you weren't sure. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Isn't that amazing? You know, when Paul's saying I'm not ashamed, Paul lived it too. Because when I read that list, I was like, gee, how many lashes would I take? He did it five times. How many times would I be beaten? I mean, at some point, right, you would just kind of keep your mouth shut. At some point, you're going to say, to face the cold and the hardness of the weather. At some point, to leave the comfort of my home. At some point, that person that I know that is that sees the gospel and my faith is foolishness and will do everything they can to belittle my faith, wouldn't it just be better just to not say anything? You see, the reason Paul endured these things is because he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. The reason he was not ashamed and willing to face that persecution is the rest of verse 16. And when he says, if you will, go ahead and put that up. For, again, the cause, the reason, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. In other words, the Jew received the word. They're first in, in privilege and first, first in priority because they received the word, the oracles of God first. But it, look, notice this right here. We get our word dy dynamite from. It's the idea of that, that source, that power of God for salvation, that it is that which God has done and that he promises the restoration of all that sin marred, all that sin destroyed. He promises to restore and really even greater before. For once we were below the angels and now we'll be above because of the work of his son through the substitutionary atonement that we hold so dearly here at Mansfield Bible Church. When we talk about the sacrifice, the sacrifice of God's own son 
that Jesus willingly laid all aside and left that he might walk among us, God in flesh, the God-man, fully God, fully man, and walk among us, humbling himself and going to a cross. His sacrifice, it was a propitiation. In other words, it satisfied the judgment and wrath of God on iniquity and on sin. It satisfied that, that he might look at us and call us righteous because of the work of his son. And he reconciled us. He reconciled us and he brought those who were opposed because of iniquity and because of sin. He brings us together and he reconciles us through his son, Jesus Christ. And he redeems us. We were, we were what is the wages of sin is what? Death. And by the work of Christ, through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, he redeemed us from death and gave us life. You talk about the power of of God and the gospel. You know, I know a lot of Christians, and I've said this before, and maybe I've said it in here, I don't know, but you need to hear it again. I know a lot of Christians that want to see the power of God. You know, they want to see the miracles, they want to see this, they want to see all all that. You want to see the powerful of God? You want to see the power of God? Share the gospel. There's nothing else that you're going to do that can help someone go from life or death to life. There's nothing else that will change someone for all of eternity. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of God. It is the power of God. And Paul says, I am ready. I am ready to preach the gospel. Why? Because I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation. And it's no different for us in this room. That person you work with, that person, your neighbor, that family member, the power of the gospel. It's the power of God. It can change their life. You want to see the work of God? Proclaim the gospel. Proclaim it. Proclaim it. Proclaim it. He goes on in verse 17. I wish I had more time. Verse verse 17, he says the next thing. He says, here's a reason. Why is it the power of God? What is the reason? Because in it, the righteousness of God You hear that? The righteousness of God is revealed. It's made known. He's he's exposed who he is, and he's made known his righteousness, and his ways are righteous, and his will is righteous. The way he goes about things is righteous. He is a righteous God, and it's been revealed from faith for faith. Literally, it's the idea of out of, or from beginning to end. It is faith. It's the principle of faith that we would trust and and understand that our standing before God is secure in the righteousness of God. By faith, we hold that. Righteous people are those who have faith. You don't hit righteousness without faith. It's the righteousness of God. It's interesting. Let me put these, all these verses together in case you missed it. Paul says, so... I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome. Okay, Paul, what's the reason? Why are you uh, eager to preach? Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel? Paul, why are you not ashamed of the gospel? Before, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why is it the power of God? Because in it, the righteousness of God is revealed 
from faith for faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. You see that picture? You see the argument, how he's going there, that Paul wants us to understand as he's instructing those believers in Rome, the power of the gospel and the truth of it and the motivation within his life of understanding not just the gospel and just what it has done within you, but also the power of the mission of the gospel. You, let, me, let me say this, dear people of God. It doesn't matter how great of a testimony or story you have that God has changed you. What changes a life isn't a testimony. What changes a life is the truth of God and the work of his son, Jesus Christ, his redemption. You see, what changes a life isn't what we track somebody down. What changes us alive is when the Spirit of God moves in their heart and by faith they receive the goodness of God. When they understand the truth of God in their lives. Dear people of God, that is the thing that should drive us and move us. We should be never, never settled in this room. We come here and we worship and we praise our God. We hear the word of God and then we have a mission with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us not grow weary in that truth. Let us not weary in the fact that the world might say we're worthless. We know it not to be true for God has declared truth in his son, Jesus Christ. Now I want you to notice in the next verse, verse 18, this is the one nobody likes because he's still explaining when God revealed his righteousness, you know what he revealed? You know what he revealed? His wrath, his attitude, because he's righteous. God is righteous and I am not, all right? And God's not gonna change his righteousness in order to make me feel better. What God's gonna do by the work of the gospel is he's gonna change me that I might be in his presence, in his righteousness. You see the difference? See, the wrath of God has, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The ungodliness there is the idea of a disregard for God, a total disregard for God. Unrighteousness is the idea of a disregard of what's holy. We live in a culture that disregards God and disregards holiness. If nothing else, we promote ungodliness as a culture. We need to stop. We need to start right here in this room, right? Amen. Down in verse 28 in chapter one there, he also talks about the debased mind. It's, it's this reprobate mind. It's the idea of to be weighed and found deficient. And the picture is that, that God has told them truth and then they, in that truth, they weighed it and they found it deficient. So God takes their truth, what they thought was true, and he weighs it and he counts it deficient. And you know what he does? He turns them over to it. And that's the danger of us disregarding God. And so when you look in chapter one and you go from verse 18 all the way down to the end of the chapter, it's talking about those who disregard God. When you walk into chapter two, you all hanging on? Get your seatbelts on. We're still moving. We're looking at a lot of verses here, but I want you to see it because there's some really neat things you need to know today. And so, so in chapter two, he starts talking about that good man. He uses the idea of judge, oh you, oh man, who judges another. In other words, what you're doing, you look at those people who are disregarding God in verse chapter one, and you're going, oh, they're horrible. I'm better than they are. It becomes more of a work. Say, hey, look, I live my life. I live it better, you know, than Lingle up there. And they let him preach. I'm sure I'm, I'm, sure I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to weigh better than he is. 
And then you walk into verse 17 of chapter 2, and he begins to talk about the Jew, the Jew who received the oracles of God, the chosen people of God because of their nationality, because they received the oracles of God. God surely wouldn't, wouldn't reject them. But in their disobedience, they were like the blind leading the blind. And they, they, they were leading, leading off. In fact, in verse 9 of chapter 3, he says this. He says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are what? Under sin. He just got through saying, hey, there's none that do with good. No, not one. There's none that seeketh after God, no, not one. Or I guess he's about to say that. Yeah, I'm sorry. This picture of the, our condition of who we are. This is the reality. Oh, Greg, you're putting down the world and you're condemning the world. No, look, if you got a broken arm, you got a broken arm. You can walk around and say it's not broken, but it's broken, right? If I'm under sin and sin has devastated my life so much and I'm telling you that, it's not to condemn you, it's to make you aware. And of your condition, you have a broken arm, you need it taken care of. You need to go see a doctor, you need to get that fixed. If you sin in our lives, you need to get it fixed. You need to get it taken care of. And so what Paul does is he continues on in verse, chapter 3 and verses 19 and 20. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every What's it say? Every mouth may be stopped and the what? Whole world may be held accountable to God. See, the law didn't come to make us better. The law came to expose our condition, to show us of our need. He goes on, for by the works of the law, no human being will what? Be justified in his sight. It's not going to happen. You can keep every word, every jot and tittle. You can keep every little thing. It's not going to be what justifies you. Since through the law, and this is the reason, comes the knowledge of sin. It's not that the law was to judge and condemn. The law was to expose sin in our lives and our need for God. That everybody, every mouth would stop and everyone would understand our need and that sin would stick out like a sore thumb and the world would know that we need God. Now, I want you to know something. Here's what's really neat because in the very next verse, when he goes in here in the very next section, verse 21, but I want you to see this next slide. It puts up to, okay, remember what we said in Romans chapter one, verse 17? It says, for, okay, the cause and the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written. Now he's picking up in chapter three, verses 21 and 22. He says, but now, contrast to the law, everyone being stopped, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested. You see what he did? He picked up what he started in verse one, or chapter one, verse 17. He picked it up. Uh, he said, now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness, here it is, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There it is. You know why Paul endured those persecutions? You know why he was ready to preach the gospel? The power of God because the righteousness of God was revealed. And what a joy. 
The source of our faith and our righteousness is God. The relationship of faith, righteousness to the law is it's separated. They're not, they're not the same, they're separated. The access of our faith and righteousness is through Jesus Christ. Whether Old Testament or New Testament, it's always been through the Messiah, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And the limits, what are the limits of that faith, righteousness? All who would believe. Do you, are you here this morning? Do you believe in Christ? In the very next verse, in verse 22 and following, he picks up here, explaining this. There is no distinction. What do you mean there's no distinction? There's no distinction whether Jew or Greek, barbarian. There's no distinction. Why? Why, Paul? Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, the picture isn't to, to condemn. The picture is to show our condition. In our condition, we are condemned. But the picture is to make us aware that we all have came short and are what? Justified, how? By his grace as a, as a gift. It's a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a, there's that word, propitiation, that God was satisfied by the sacrifice of his son, the shedding of his blood, to be received by faith. You can come through those doors all you want your whole life, never miss a single day and still go to hell. Did you know that? You can give all you want. You can do all, you can feed all the poor. You can, I know this sounds, it may sound horrible, but you can do all these things, but they don't save you. You're not saved until you believe in the work of God and you stand here today and I stand in the righteousness of Christ in and of myself. I have nothing. I stand in his righteousness, trusting in an almighty God and the gift that he's given us through his son, Jesus Christ. This was to show what? God's righteousness. When I stand here today and I didn't, I didn't earn anything, I stand here in his righteousness it demonstrates his righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. Go on to the next, next slide and we'll wrap it up. For we hold that no one is, we hold that, no, that one is justified by faith apart from the works of law. There it is. There it is. How can a holy and righteous and perfect God pardon ungodly sinners and receive them without any contamination because God fully paid their debt and imputed to them righteousness, his righteousness. It's free, freely given through his son. And God did that to show himself as righteous not contaminated by sin, not having any change. So when God, who is righteous, and we who are not, and we're separated by our sin, it isn't God setting aside his righteousness to try to reach us. Rather, it is a righteous, holy God sending his righteous, holy son, calling us to himself. And as we receive him by faith, we stand in the righteousness of God, and we call him our God and our Father, Abba, Father, to him be the glory. And he is worthy of our worship and our praise. That is the message that you can share that will change every life you will ever meet if they believe. Every life, every life.
God be the glory. I don't know, you might be here this morning. Maybe you've never trusted Christ. You know, it's easy for us to come in here and think we're all Christians and all believers and oh yeah. But maybe you've been playing a game. Maybe you've been coming for years or maybe you've only been coming recently and you just think maybe coming through those doors or uh, putting something in the offering or whatever is, is enough to, to make you saved. And it's not. It's not. Simply by faith. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, then I would encourage you and ask you to come today and receive Christ. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Now is the time. If you're a child of God and you're here this morning, maybe you've been gotten a little bit slack and maybe you've grown a little ashamed of the gospel. You know what, students, by the way, I hope you listen today. Every, almost every great revival started with students who, who took the gospel into their schools and in their places and they were unashamed and they shared the gospel and God used them greatly. Around the world, there are people today sharing their faith. Let us join them. Let us join them. If you're here this morning and you're sharing your faith like crazy, praise God. Keep doing it. Let's do it. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up this morning. If you fall in one of those, you want to pray, you want to hear the gospel a little more, then come forward. I would ask you to do that. If you're, uh, if you're unsure, you just want someone to pray with, come forward. Let's do that. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray for the power of your gospel. I pray that, Lord, the hearts that are here, that you would have been pleased to speak to them, Father. And that, Father, your spirit would move among us in such a way that, Father, uh, your righteousness would be known. And by grace and by faith, Father, we would respond to the truth of your word and receive Christ into our lives. Lord, let us as believers... Let us not get so comfortable that, Father, we love to talk about everything in your word, but we never share it with those who don't know Christ. Let us be a people, Father, who not only thirst to know you better, but also thirst and are unashamed to proclaim it. That, Father, there are brothers and sisters around the world today facing the persecution of losing their possessions and being, being shipped out of a country and and Father, just the beatings and the brought in before governance. And I, Lord, just amazing. Let us, let us pray for them. Let us join them in the ministry of reconciliation you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.